Hello and welcome back once again to the Remedio Magic podcast being recorded partially in my parents' house and partially in my basement. <laughs> I'm I'm the host Brady and with me as always are my two co-hosts, uh, my good friend Delbert and my brother Baylor and welcome back guys. Here we are in familiar settings once again. Yeah, we've we've done this once before, so here's yeah. to the future. <laughs> I'm not gonna say that your uh, your description is wrong because it's not. I'm definitely in our parents' house again, but it might have sounded better if he said part being recorded here and part being recorded three hours away. Well, it's the same thing, but it's the internet, so distance doesn't really matter. As far as True. I'm concerned, you're right next to us. True. Well, little do the little does the big guy know at home. Um, I'm actually filling my voice in uh, about three hours after you guys have recorded this part. And so, like, I, you guys are live, but I'm obviously three hours late. Yeah, that is nice, actually. Uh, that's the way we've decided to do this, because it's a little less complicated, is Delbert, you and I are just kind of talking, and we're just leaving random pauses, and Baylor has to make stuff up to <laughs> fit the gap. Right. Now I understand what we're saying. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. 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 It's weird that you would say that <laughs> since Baylor's not actually in the recording. Oh, man. You should have seen it with... Uh, I did a podcast briefly with my friend in Australia, and I just set a 19-hour stopwatch and waited for it to go down, and then we talked. <laughs> <laughs> At any rate, we are back again talking about Alexander Quick, but not talking about Alexander Quick and the lands below where off of that for this week. Instead, we are just literally talking about Alexander Quick. We're doing a character deep dive into Alexander Quick. Uh, we're going to be discussing a few things. We've got some fun things planned. We're going to be talking about the origins of her name and if that has any implication on who she is as a character. We're going to be talking about what her Hogwarts house would be if she was to get sorted at Hogwarts. And we're also going to discuss... Her family, uh, what are some of her best and worst moments from the first book, and what does the future hold for Alex? And then we're going to wrap it up by playing uh, a silly little bastardized version of a, a very common childhood slash adulthood slash sleepover slash whenever time game. So I think it's going to be a fun episode. It's definitely an experiment because it's a format we haven't messed with so far. True. Yeah, I mean... Even for our mid-season episodes, we kind of knew right off the bat what that was going to look like, but this could be chaos. I think it'll be good. I think it'll fill the gap for, you know, like the Discord was wanting us to do deep dive on Alex, you know, well into our first season. So I think hopefully this will fill that gap and, and they can kind of get a better feel of how we're feeling about the characters going forward. We are giving it our best shot at the very least, and I have to say... Uh, when I was creating the doc for these show notes, I was struggling to come up with the best way to put this together. And then uh, my favorite Harry Potter podcast, MuggleCast, released a character discussion just earlier this week. And so I was able to kind of take their skeleton and fit it to our discussion a little bit. So I was actually pretty thankful for that because uh, they definitely gave me some better ideas than what I had coming into this. Uh, before we start, though, I think one of the two of you should plug our social media. So I'm going to leave that up to you to decide who does that. I'll take this one. Uh, you can reach us on Instagram and Twitter. Our handle is at the underscore RM podcast. Our Gmail is remediomagicpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, as always, all of these links to these wonderful things are in our description, and also there is a link to our link tree, which has links going to several different places, including our social media. So uh, check those out. Definitely check those out, and don't forget to leave us a review if you have the time, if you have two working thumbs and you're able to hold a phone and type at the same time, uh, if you're just a, a person in general, we'd like you to leave us a review if at all possible. <laughs> that does really help our show uh, become more discoverable. And so we're doing okay on the review front, but we haven't had a new one in a couple of weeks. So it's time for somebody out there to step up. Who that is, we don't know, but it's time for somebody 
to do it. Um, with that being said, that means that we're doing different types of episodes, like some character discussions that we're doing today. Um, and I think we should probably just get right into it. And I wanted to start with a discussion about Alex's name because it's pretty unique, I would say. Um, and something I've noticed about Harry Potter, especially, but a lot of works of fiction and literary works is that characters' names are somewhat related to something um, with their personality or the way they act or how they who they choose to associate themselves with. Like, for example, uh, Sirius Black, right, being named Sirius, the name of the dog constellation up in the sky, as long, well as a few other things like Draco Malfoy. Um, his name has some association with it as well. So I wanted to see if there might be something we could create with Alex's name that might be an association to who she is or how she acts or whatever. And so I decided to go look for the roots or the origins of each of her three names. And so starting with Alexandra, I uh, found out that it's derived from Greek, which isn't much of a surprise, I suppose, uh, meaning to defend and man. So it the the root name or the origin name is Alexin, which is a combination of the words for defend and for man. Uh, it was made popular by a Danish princess who married King Edward VII in 1863. So what do we think about that? What do we think about the implications of of any of that? Does that strike you as Alex at all? Is she a defender of man? From my perception of Alec, or of uh, Abraham Thorne, at least what I've said at the end of book one and what has been unproven or you know has not been disproven, I guess to me so far, is that Alex is a defender of her father. <laughs> so um, <laughs> that's really the only only tie I can see there. She's defending the Thorn Circle. What about you, Delbert? I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little deep on this. Perhaps as deep as Baylor went in his first prediction of season one. I don't think that it's necessarily having anything to do with the Danish princess. I think it's more of a tie-in to Alexander the Great. Alexandria and Alexandra's all over the world as far as cities go. I think it's talking about her having great power. But, and here's my take, since uh, you brought in the Danish princess, the only liter literature I know about Denmark in general is Hamlet. Okay. And Alex has a stepfather, which makes me think now that Archie is the brother of Abraham Thorne. Uh-oh. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Scandal. I'm in. <laughs> you would be. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, great. So there's our ties uh, to Alex's first name, which is Alexandra. Her middle name is Octavia. And so I, I thought, oh, that one's a little bit more mysterious. Maybe there will be something important with Octavia. It's of Latin origin, and it means eighth. So that's an interesting thing to think about, I suppose. And it was commonly used in the Roman imperial family. So that second part maybe isn't as useful to us, but what do we think Alex is the eighth of? Boy, I don't know. <laughs> I, I maybe the maybe the eighth member of the Thorn Circle, <laughs> maybe Abraham Thorn's eighth child. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Uh, I don't have anything else to add to that. To Listen, be honest, all I'm saying is Alexandra, Alexander the Great, Octavia, Octavian Caesar, whatever the hell his name was. From <laughs> that, she's she's gonna be an evil dictator <laughs> by the end of everything. Oh sure. Ah. Evil, it's relative, right? Depends right. on perspective. Right. Um, and then we have her last name, which is Quick, uh, which is of Anglo-Saxon origin. And I thought this one was interesting because as I researched it more and more, more and more things were just saying, like, this is a farmer's name. This is a name of a commoner or of somebody who is lowborn. But it means lively, agile, or alive. And the meanings are topographical 
representations of Old English. Uh, and the most common representation is that it represents a person who lived at a dairy farm in the outlying regions of a kingdom. So, <laughs> to me, this has no association with her character whatsoever. <laughs> um, but I'm hoping you guys can refute that. I actually think the opposite. Uh, of of all three of them, I could see this one being the most influential because uh, Quick was her mom's maiden name, right? Before she married Archie. Indeed. And so she's like a she's a muggle, obviously. So that's like the to wizards, that's the lowest class of uh, of a human being as a muggle because they can't do magic. And so I could see like this maybe being a play on that because you're saying that from what you could find. Quick was just someone who's a, a commoner, a poor commoner. I suppose that would work. You know, it feels like with all three of these to make a real concrete association, we'd have to reach a little bit to get to that to that point. So, um, absolutely, you could definitely reach and get there. My biggest reach with this one is that since it means alive, it fits her because she is not currently dead. That's true. I oh, also yeah. do have a yeah. question. Uh, we do this on the fly, so of course we never have any notes about anything. Sure. But if we did have notes, there would be the word topographical. And I only know that word in one sense. What does it mean in this case? Well, topographical, I think in this instance, is like a direct, the, the direct context of if your last name is Quick in 1179, the year 1179, you... Uh, lived in an outlying region of the kingdom hmm. on a dairy farm. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I was, I thought, you know, we should, we should address her name because like in the original series, names have a lot to do with who the people are. And then I started researching her names and I said, this, we could just be making stuff up and nobody would have any idea. I could have looked nothing up and said all this and it would have made no difference. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> let's be honest i mean inverarty definitely just tried to put together the name that had the most syllables possibly except for the last yeah, name i don't know i don't know about quick <laughs> maybe a future uh maybe a future q a uh question for old inverarty true that would be a good one or Ask young young inverarty how did you come up with alex's name uh would be a good question because based on my five minutes of research before uh, creating these notes. We don't know anything. We know right. nothing about it. <laughs> and yep. you didn't go a step beyond, which, how dare you, first off, Brady. But in case we were wondering, I have a fun fact about the last name Thorn as well. Sure, we'll take a fun fact about the last name Thorn. It is the 9,084th most commonly occurring surname in the world. Okay, nice. That's all I've got. That's nice. You know, actually, <laughs> I think Thorn might be the easiest one to address because he's obviously very prickly to the to the public eye, like a Thorn would be. And she's prickly to everyone except her closest friends, and sometimes them too. That's true. So there you go. Like, that might be the most fitting name of them all. Yeah. In fact, <laughs> I take that back. She's just prickly to everyone, including her friends, most of all. She's prickly to everyone, including the reader. True. True. <laughs> Uh, so that's where her name comes from. Uh, you got a name, her first name is derived from Greek, her second name is derived from Latin, her third name is of Anglo-Saxon origin. Uh, she could be an evil dictator or a dairy farmer. It just depends on, you know, the way you choose to interpret it, I suppose. Our, uh, senior English teacher would be so happy with us right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, we can move on to something more concrete, though. And that's discussing what Hogwarts house we think <laughs> Alex would fit into. <laughs> yes, more concrete. <laughs> Let's move into mythology. At the very <laughs> least, at the very least, there's criteria involved. Right, of course. One. Right. And so, to set this up, I wanted to make sure everybody knew the descriptions of the houses as they're presented on the Wizarding World website. The official representation of each of the houses that way we had something to go off that was better than what we get in the books where it's sort of a well you could go here or there or anywhere type of thing 
Um, and so what I'd like to do is I would like to have each of us read at least one of these descriptions or one of us is going to have to read two. And Delbert, I figure since you're a Slytherin, let's start with you and have you read the Slytherin house description as presented on the Wizarding World website. Sure, sure. The Slytherin description states, If the Sorting Hat placed you in this noble house, then you are most likely ambitious, shrewd, and possibly destined for greatness. You are always one step ahead, have a dark sense of humor, and don't let anyone see your soft side. So there you go. We'll consider that. Uh, Baylor, to be honest, I've forgotten which house you identify with the most, so I'm going to have you just choose whatever you want, whichever of these other descriptions to read. Well, I was a Hufflepuff, so I'll read Hufflepuff. Uh, a Hufflepuff is, or Hufflepuff is where you will find the most trustworthy and hardworking students. You're the type of person who has a strong moral compass, always works hard, is the most loyal friend, and always has the best snacks. Yeah, there you go. A reminder, this is a description directly off the Wizarding World website. <laughs> That's bizarre. <laughs> yeah. That it just says best snacks at the end of Hufflepuff. <laughs> I guess it's they... like, yeah. even this far along, they can't stop reinforcing the fact that Hufflepuffs are, like, practically useless in comparison to the other houses. Ouch. You know what I Ouch. mean? Ouch. Like, if, <laughs> if the best thing about you is that you can bring the best snacks to the table, what does that say? It's fair. Uh, I'm a Ravenclaw, and the, the description for Ravenclaw House is, The Sorting House would only put you in this house if you demonstrated excellent wisdom, wit, and a skill for learning. You're the type of person who analyzes everything, is an overachiever, and has a head stuffed full of interesting facts. I would not say I identify with all of that description for Ravenclaw. Right. Uh, and then Gryffindor. Uh, Baylor, why don't you read Gryffindor as well, since I kind of just poo-pooed on your house a little bit. That's <laughs> <laughs> all good. Uh, so this uh, Gryffindor house is where you will find the pluckiest and most daring students. You like to stand up for the little guy, challenge authority, and act before thinking. All right. So based on those descriptions, I want to know which house you guys think Alex fits into the best. Obviously, we've already established, we believe that she's got traits of all four, just like most people do. But if you had to choose one, if you were playing the sorting hat for a second, which one would you choose? Delbert, why don't you start? Listen, I came into this convinced that it was Slytherin. Convinced. And then Baylor read out what Gryffindor said at the end, where it's making actions without thinking, basically. And uh, that's tough, but I'm going to give her some credit and say that she's going to figure it out when she gets older, hopefully, and stick with Slytherin. All right, so you, your official vote is Slytherin House. Baylor, what do you think? I thought you were going to go... I thought uh, you were going to go uh, Gryffindor. Oh, I, I was... <laughs> I was leaning there, but then I remember her uh, day thoughts of being the dark sorceress leader <laughs> of the Thorn Circle. So, right. Um, I honestly think Alex would be similar to Harry. Uh, I think it would be a toss-up between Slytherin and Gryffindor. Uh, most, most of all, uh, I think, at least from my interpretation, this for Harry, this was because he was a Horcrux, so he had the Slytherin side in him. But, um. I think for Alex, she has traits of both both of these houses, most out of the four. Um, but I also, like like Delbert, I think Alex would be a Slytherin. All right, so we have two votes for Slytherin. I am in the similar boat that I think if you're going to pick two houses, she fits into either Gryffindor or Slytherin. But I think based on the description of Gryffindor, that's where she belongs. Uh, specifically, the part where it says she stands up for the little guy, which she does. And she challenges authority. And she does that all the time, nonstop, to a point where it annoys everybody involved. <laughs> um, yeah. That being said, I, I believe she could fit almost anywhere. I think maybe Ravenclaw is the worst of the houses for her. She is smart, but she does not pursue academics really at all unless there's some other underlying motivation. Right. So... 
as a podcast, we're either either Slytherin or Gryffindor is where we're at. But I figured we could consult the actual sorting hat that they keep back at Warner Brother headquarters, wherever that is, and we're gonna I'm gonna have you two take the actual official sorting hat test in lieu of Alex. So you'd be answering from Alex's perspective um, these questions, and we're gonna see where she gets placed using the official tool that sorts <laughs> that sorts people of all ages and magical abilities into their Hogwarts house. All right. Um, so this will be you two, and the one thing I'm gonna ask you guys to do is to. Don't deliberate for too long. If you have a gut feeling, just ride with it. All right. And if there's a tie between you two, then I'll break the tie. Okay. All right. So, starting now. The first question is, moon or stars? Moon. Moon. All right. Second question. Which of the following would you hate most people... Would Sorry. Which of the following would you most hate people to call you? Ordinary? Ignorant, cowardly, selfish. Starshine. No, cowardly, <laughs> for sure. Baylor? Uh, yeah. Uh, I was going to say ordinary, but I think cowardly. All right. Cowardly it is. For the record, I would have said ordinary. Oh, interesting. Which kind of instrument most pleases your ear? The violin, the trumpet, the piano, or the drum? So I guess the question is, which kind of instrument would most please Alex's ear? Yeah, I would say drum just because it's chaotic, but I'm not very strong on that answer. <laughs> Baylor? Um, I, I'm going to say violin because I think she she's like deliberating and, and silent behind the scenes. That's interesting. Uh, I have to say my first instinct was also drum, so that's okay. what I'm going to lock in. Which would you rather be? Envied, imitated, trusted, praised, liked, or feared? Feared. Feared. I agree. <laughs> feared it is. Which of the following would you most like to study? Centaurs, goblins, merpeople, ghosts, vampires, werewolves, or trolls? Hmm. I'm between centaurs and ghosts here. Well, I'm just going to say that old Thomas is going to make her study vampires. Oh, you think that would make it more likely? I thought that was the opposite. <laughs> I, I, as soon as I heard vampire, I was like, definitely not that one. Huh. No, I I honestly think ghosts myself, actually. Ghosts, all right. We'll lock ghosts in. I think I would have said goblins, probably. Okay. I just, she's interested in ghosts, right, when she goes into Charmbridge, though, Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Late at night, walking alone, down the street, you hear a peculiar, pe peculiar cry, jeez, I can't say that word, that you believe to have a magical source. Do you proceed with caution, keeping one hand on your concealed wand and an eye out for any disturbance, or do you draw your wand and try to discover the source of the noise? Or do you draw your wand and stand your ground? Or do you withdraw into the shadows to await developments while mentally reviewing the most appropriate defensive and offensive spells should trouble occur? Baylor, I'm going to have you go first on this one. I honestly think she would draw her wand and attempt to discover the disturbance. Okay, I agree. Yeah, I agree too. Yeah. yeah. All right, we have two questions left. If you were attending Hogwarts, which pet would you choose to take with you? Cats, toads, or owls? Obviously, we know she would pick a raven. Right. But I guess this is a la Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah. Baylor, what do you think? You know, she picked the raven to be unique. And also because she was told not to pick it. So, but I, for, for the unique part, I think she would take a toad. See, I think cat, actually. Just because they're kind of like, I don't know, sneaky and sly and associated with dark stuff, like black cats and stuff. That's that's fair. A black cat does sound pretty appropriate. 
I think. It does. Yeah. I'll go I'll go with Cat here, though I do think she might take an owl uh just for the she might take an owl just for the usefulness of it. Maybe. You know? All right, last one, heads or tails. Oh. What? Yep. Oh, that's it? That's it. That's the question. Heads what? or tails? Tails never fails. But heads. Alex think that though? Maybe. What did you say, Baylor? I think heads. I think heads too. Outvoted. <laughs> All right. So she's her own person. We're about to find out what Alex's true house is, and uh, this may have been a uh, the most boring segment maybe in podcast history. Who knows? Ah. But it's important information because in this fictional world where we have Alex. Not knowing what her Hogwarts house is, maybe not even knowing about Hogwarts, we need to know where she would belong. True. And if you disagree <laughs> with our choices, write in. Yeah, write in. <laughs> yeah, send us some emails, baby. <laughs> write in. Uh, and maybe talk about how we're not stalling for time here because it hasn't told me yet as it plays this animation. But. The official result is, as expected, Gryffindor. Oh, <laughs> bummer. I was still on the Slytherin side, but she's just too uh, I mean, it, chaotic, I guess. It, it makes sense. Well, to be honest, I think that that test boils down to that one question where they say, you hear a mysterious noise, what do you do? <laughs> and we all picked the Gryffindor answer for that one. So. That's true. That's fair. Um, I, so I think that's why she ended up there. But, but You're telling me heads we, and tails didn't impact our answer more than very those? Very bizarre, right? Yeah. I think heads and tails... I wonder if that, it was narrowed between two, and it just said, okay, we're tired of you. Maybe, or perhaps... Uh, if you pick heads, you're leaning more towards Gryffindor and Slytherin since they like lead mm, anyways. Maybe. And then if you pick tails, it's the other two. I don't know. It tests even the official one like that. I think to be honest, they could do it with just like a random dice roll. And I oh, you're know. right. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, but the official result for Alex is Gryffindor, which means that in the AQ universe, that's canon. Oh, okay. <laughs> We have the official <laughs> podcast stance now that Alex is a Gryffindor. <laughs> you hear that, Inverarity? Move, move aside. We decide what's canon now. <laughs> Look, I don't mean to say anything uh, ill about Inverarity, but have we done more work recently on this series? Perhaps. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> From what I can understand, I mean... They've put in probably 200,000 words in the time we've done this uh, podcast, so... Yeah, but come on. Every <laughs> week for almost a year. True. <laughs> Anyways. Every week. Especially, almost every week. Especially yeah. not the last two, or that one over <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> At any rate, we're going to move on to a little bit more serious discussion maybe than that. Uh, I wanted to know from you guys... What were some of Alex's best and worst moments from the first book? Obviously, we could talk about further than that, but since Baylor is only one book and three chapters into this series at this point, I wanted to uh, talk about some of her best and worst moments from book number one. Um, so, Baylor, why don't you why don't you lead us off with that? With let's do, let's do uh, worst moments first. All right. Um, I, obviously you guys probably will have an advantage because you've read the, the whole series, but, um, for me, her worst moments were just her seemingly unable to resist trouble. Uh, I felt like there was a lot of times when she could have done something different or said something different and like three or four chapters could have been dropped from the book probably. Um, also because it annoyed me. Um, just the way I am, but obviously there wouldn't be a story if she was able to resist trouble. So that's that. But, and then she also just wasn't really a great friend to, to her other friends for most of the story, I would say. Yeah. I was going to say probably her worst moment in my opinion is, or her worst moments 
were the times where she was being a terrible friend to uh, Anna, Constance and Forbearance, even David a couple of times. Those were the moments where I looked at Alex um, not really in annoyance like I would sometimes when she was being defiant, but more so in uh, just like kind of being just disappointed in how she was treating her, uh, the people who were trying to care about her. I agree. Um, but for the sake of discussion, I'm going to disagree and say that instead her worst moments are anytime Larry Albo's name appears. <laughs> now, why is that? Oh, <laughs> you know, seven or eight months of detention and a nine month school year and <laughs> just tends to get in a lot of trouble and not back down from literally anything that is recommended by Larry. Yeah. Yeah. She is generally easy to manipulate. Yeah. You know, because all somebody has to do is, is like question her courage and mm -hmm. then it's on. Uh, now what about her best moments? In my opinion, there's a defining best moment. For oh, Alex I think so too, book. but it's going to be different than yours. I'm my, certain. my opinion that her best moment in the first book was the takedown of Alan Thiel. Okay. And the reason why is because, first of all, everybody knows how we feel about Alan Thiel. Uh, but second of all, it really showed that, like, while she's an 11-year-old wizard, she is a very, very, like, magically powerful and, like, special, unique 11-year-old, I guess, witch, I should say. Um, she demonstrated her power there. Very well. Like, I don't... If Anna's in that room on her own, or if it's Anna and David, I don't think that Alan Thiel is getting overpowered the way he does. I think Alex almost forces it through through sheer will more than anything else. Yeah, that's one way to I look at it. That. You, you could definitely say, oh, catching someone off guard and getting the better of them is so cool. But uh, how about taking down a magical beast before knowing anything about the magical world when she saved Bonnie from the Kappa? Sure. I, yeah. That's it's early a, on, but that is a boss That was a pretty move. cool moment. Too. It's a big accomplishment for yeah. sure. I think, and again, it demonstrates that same thing, right? Like, that she is not a typical 11-year-old kid. Right. Um, it's so early in the book, It though. is. Oh, it is. But I think that's what mm -hmm. proves it. Like, okay, here she is. This is the quote-unquote heroine of the story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it does establish her as being something special. Yeah, I, I didn't go with a specific moment in the book. Uh, I kind of used a theme, I guess, again. And that was... My, my favorite part was just Alex's growth throughout the whole book. Um, I thought at the beginning she was pretty annoying, like I said. And then towards the end, I actually was excited to see what happened next with Alex. So uh, that was pretty cool. And, you know, in, with a part with that is her unending loyalty to her friends, which we really saw at the end with, with uh, Anna. Yeah, she definitely improved throughout the book. I think we all, we all can agree with that. Um, just considering where she is at the beginning and how insolent she is and how like insubordinate she is to adults and whatever else. And by the end, she at least shows some compassion for people. So uh, I think that her growth is definitely a defining arc that spans the entire book and is certainly not over with. Yeah, uh, no, I, I agree. I think that's probably the most important part. And granted, it's not one specific moment, like we're saying. But if she didn't get better from the beginning of the book, I'm not reading the sequel. If if it was still the same exact attitude as the start of the book, I don't think I would have been able to put up with it. I completely agree. I mean, great example, and I don't want to disparage anyone's work, and it's just not for me, but um, I believe it's, is it called Harry Potter and Methods of Rationality? Yeah. It's a big fan fiction about a biochemist Harry instead of a, you know, Vernon Dursley raised Harry, and I just could not go very far in that because that Harry is so pretentious and thinks he's right all the time and never seems to grow out of it. So, yeah. And that's, uh, 
that's something that's addressed in the Discord a lot, even by Inverarity, is that Alex is not written to be likable at the beginning. Right. And it, I think it gives a lot of room for her to have character growth. Yeah, and it does a great job with it. I mean, Baylor <laughs> brings it up, but every single time that she did something, whether it be listen to her friends or listen to her parents or, you know, not get in trouble, we praised her during that episode of the podcast. It's so. true. Right. I think another couple of things to mention in terms of good moments for Alex. Um, first of all, maybe I was wrong when I spoke earlier because I just thought of this moment, but when she stares her would-be murderer in the face and makes him feel small, yeah, even though he's trying to kill her. That's a pretty good moment. And she does that to Ben Journey. That is a pretty good moment for her. Whoa, spoiler alert. With what? Ben Journey. What about him? People might not know. If they're listening to this episode <laughs> of the podcast and they don't know. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, and this wasn't really a good moment in terms of the way she behaved, but a good moment in terms of her proving herself once again. Uh, when she manipulated the clockwork golems into getting revenge on Larry and the rashes. I thought that was a, a highlight for her throughout the year, because if she hadn't done that, I think their messing with her would have just gotten worse and worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah. After that, we didn't really see any, really have any trouble with Larry. I don't think like any major trouble. Obviously they still had their weird rivalry, but I also would like to touch on it. I think we're going to discuss it later still. But another good moment is when she realizes Bran and Poe are abusing themselves for trying to go outside the rules to help her. She initially says, hey, don't help me then. Like, oh, yeah. That's fine. That is true. Yeah. You know, and in fact, I think that's a good segue into just discussing how Alex treats people uh, in general, especially people that she forms friendships with. Um, because her friendships are pretty interesting. Like... We can talk about Brandon Poe. She does tend to gravitate towards people or creatures she, I think she feels are less fortunate than herself, like Brandon Poe. And so I was just wondering why you guys think she does that. Why is that her first instinct? Because there's mean, lots of people who wouldn't do that. Even Anna, in a sense, right? Like, sure, Anna's super smart and everything, but she seems to be somewhat of a loner from how she's introduced and everything and ends up being the roommate and best friends with her. So even on that aspect, I truly believe that Alex has a good heart and I think that she feels obligated to help the disingenuous and is very empathetic towards them. And I mean, if you look at like Alex's background, like when she was in school, she was picked on and bullied a lot and didn't really have any friends there in, in uh, Larkin Mills other than Brian and, and Bonnie and, I mean, just given last episode, like Brian and Bonnie, or not necessarily Bonnie, but Brian and, and Billy were pretty harsh. I mean, for, for 12 year old kids, that was pretty harsh stuff they were saying. Um, and so I, I feel like because of that, she would gravitate more towards uh, those that are less, less fortunate. Uh, I, I also think that this kind of rolls over to uh, constance and forbearance like she didn't realize that they were being treated poorly because she just viewed them as friends and, and average people versus you know uh, the, the weirdos or whatever yeah it's interesting i think that she like let's face it right she is the leader of her friend group already at charmbridge but her friend group isn't necessarily made up of people who will challenge her for that spot, you know? Constance and Forbearance do the best job of that by telling her when she's acting out and when she needs to apologize to people. But past that, like, most of her friends are positioned in such a way that Alex is the leader of that crew and they're going to do what they need to to help her and not vice versa. So it's interesting that you have that dynamic on one hand, but then on the other hand, she's going so far out of her way to make sure Brandon Poe are comfortable with what's going on and to treat um, where so many people would treat Brandon Poe with disrespect to treat them like equals. It's a, it's actually a pretty strong parallel between her and Harry 
in terms of the way they treat people who are clearly less fortunate or socially uh, lower than she is. Um, I also, I wanted to chime in too, and Baylor, when you were talking there, um, three hours in the future, of course, we, <laughs> you mentioned how, because she was like the one being picked on and everything, I'm, it's weird because it makes sense, but also I wouldn't think Alex thinks of herself as an outsider necessarily, or like one that was picked on or less fortunate. Because I just don't think she believes that about herself. Like, she's too proud. Yeah, I mean... Right. I can agree with that, but... She's clearly the outsider in Larkin Mills now. Yeah. Like, for sure. Especially and when she heads back, right? It would be interesting to know what... Her social life was like prior to... The events at the pond that set this story in motion. Uh, because... There's a chance that at school... At elementary school, she really is the person that nobody wants to pal around with. And could be because of the way she acts. Like, she didn't find out she's magical and then turn into, a, into like, a very stubborn person. She was probably already that when she got her powers. And so I'm wondering, really, what her, what her social life prior to the events of the first book was like. I can see it being that she's not very popular because of the way she acts. Yeah, that's fair. Who do you guys think she looks at as a true friend versus somebody she tolerates? Because her circle is fairly large, right? But there's definitely a difference between Anna and Darla, for, for example. Right. Um, I, I think for sure that Anna is the close friend. I think Constance and Forbearance are probably also close friends, although not really as prevalent in book one as I thought they were. And past that, I honestly think it's probably Brain and Poe. And then David. And that's probably the realistic group of friends. So that brings up a... We can continue on this thread too, but right along in with this, why isn't she better friends with David? I just think they have different interests. Like, David is all about the sports stuff and, you know, seemingly gets along fine with Angelique, whereas Alex, kind of like you said, isn't that close with Darla or Angelique. So I think in this book, especially, or book one especially, they are, uh, like, they're, they're friends, but they're not close friends. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. I thought along the same exact lines. Uh, I I just think, you know, they went different directions when they went to Charmbridge. Uh, Alex was in remedial classes, uh, quite a few of them, and David was only in a couple. And then also David was, um, you know, he, he was a muggle-born, obviously, uh, the same way as Alex grew up with muggles. Uh, but he came from a different background than Alex. Like, he was a minority. Parents appear to be uh, well-off and... Uh, I I just feel like he's motivated to change the world for the better, which is completely fine. Um, but I I really think that their friendship will expand in this book, I, the you know the lands below book. I think. I also want to add on top of that, Baylor, because you're right. But also, I think Alex is jealous of David because he got to get all the studying materials before he started. He's not in all the remedial classes that she's in, so I think like oh yeah, she might be a little bit. Uh, <laughs> annoyed by that as well. It's an interesting thought uh, because I kind of think the same way as you guys. I just find it interesting that like he's really the first person she connected with in the magical world and then almost as soon as they get to Charmbridge, that connection sort of just dwindles and goes away and David is just a person who pops into the story every now and then rather than being there fairly often and maybe I'm basing it too much on how I know that I would act in this situation. But if I found another person who was quote unquote muggle born, even though Alex is not muggle born, but comes from the same lack of knowledge about the wizarding world, doesn't know what Charmbridge is, is going to be uh, doing everything for the first time as well. I would probably latch on to that person a little bit more than what Alex, Alex did with David. Um, and like, Honestly, he seems like a person who 
if he just wasn't her friend, it probably wouldn't affect her too much. What about what about Darla and Angelique? What Not about friends. those two? At the end of the book... <laughs> they seem like it at the end, but that's the only time that they appear to be friends throughout the entire thing. I will say Angelique seems a little bit better than Darla, but for the most part, they seem pretty standoffish, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. I also think that the only reason they were there at the end of the book was because it would benefit them. You know, like they, they would look like the, the caring, consoling friends to everybody else. So I, I think that I, I don't think that they are friends. They're just they just exist. You know, they were in the, the bus at the same time as everyone else. Could also be, though, from their perspective, that Alex is this girl that's getting into trouble for no reason. And then they find out at the end of the year that, oh, the reason she said was the reason that this has all been happening. So maybe they just acknowledge she was right. Yeah, you know, like, it's interesting that I was frankly surprised that at the end of the book, Alex acknowledges those two as being her friends. And it's almost as if Inverarty wrote that that little commentary from the perspective of Alex, like being, you know how when it's the end of the school year, you're like really excited for it to be the end of the school year and everybody's much more friendly during that time. And right. it's almost like he wrote Alex's feelings towards them with that end of school year feeling in mind. Because right. if you would have asked Alex at the, in the middle of the book, if she's friends with Darla and Angelique, I'm pretty sure the answer is hell no. Right. You know? So mm -hmm. I think if you take a step back and reflect on the friendship, there's not much there to build on. No, there's not. It'll be interesting to see how they interact in this story. So we have Alex's friends, right? We also have Alex's family, which is, which is a pretty unfortunate situation overall, right? Her, she didn't ever know her father. And when she finally finds out who he is, he turns out to be the most wanted man in the entire confederation, possibly an attempted murderer, possibly a real murderer of who knows how many other people conspire of the dark lord yeah yeah like all kinds of stuff associated with her finding out who her father is and that's one entire discussion but then secondly her mom doesn't remember anything doesn't know anything about the wizarding world which is a problem so alex can't talk to her mom and then archie is just an enigma he obviously cares about alex to some degree but is he the best father to her? It doesn't seem like it. So <laughs> so I just wanted to know, what do you guys think about Alex's family? Right? It's a, For me, it's kind of a mess. I think if we do a deep dive on Archie, we're getting kicked from the Discord. <laughs> 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 no, I, I mean, I think that for her actual parents here being Archie and Claudia, um... They're doing the best they can, I think. I mean, they both work. They're both out, gone a lot of the time. They can't really keep up all the time with Alex. Um, and obviously, we see it in Philosopher's Stone, Sorcerer's Stone. Harry's having like outbursts of magic. We see some of it in Alex Quick talking about the past when she tried to like fly off roofs and you know she was able to cause the fireballs with the stick and all this stuff. So. There was probably some chaotic stuff that they had to deal with with Alex growing up, and some of that stuff they were just not present for. So, I mean, it could have left her scared of stuff that she didn't understand. Even if they were there, they might have been scared and not understood. So, it's definitely an interesting family dynamic. Yeah, it is. Especially, like, you were talking about how Alex is jealous of David. I could also see... Alex being jealous of the fact that his parents get to know, you know, that he is a wit or a wizard, you know, that kind of stuff. So, um, I feel like that fuels the fire of Alex's like constant battle against authority. And so I, th I honestly think, um, obviously we didn't like Archie from the beginning, but at the beginning, I mean, but, uh, I, I do think Archie cares and, uh, tries the best he can. I actually had it in my notes that they, he was a busy, overworked parent, kind of like you said, Delbert. Uh, so that was kind of funny. But um, 
I, I just feel like Alex is a a child that would be very hard to parent as well, just given that fact that they tell her to do something and she doesn't do it. Yeah. So I, I, I've dealt with, uh, you know, kids that, that are that way when I teach uh, recreation classes during the summer, and it is very, very hard to stay positive. So I, I can definitely see, you know, Archie's doing the best he can kind of thing. So then how does how does Alex change then if her parents know that she's magical from the time she's born or shortly after? Like what if instead of obliviating Claudia, uh, Diana Grimm shows up and explains the situation to her so that she can explain it to Alex? Do we think Alex is the same way she is now? Do we think she's as stubborn, as insubordinate as she can be? Or do we think that she's different a little bit more understanding or something like that i i could see like the stubbornness and all that other stuff carrying on um i I just think that's a personality trait i don't think that has anything to do with you know her knowing about that but i think like archie and claudia could be a bit more understanding of alex's situation and um i don't know You, you know it's it's such a hard thing to even speculate on but uh i i feel like it could be slightly better their relationship with with each other could be better i think if if everyone knew what was going on yeah and i also wanted to point out and i'm drawing directly from the text here so that's how you know this is an important point to make um alex is like two major contacts at least in book one and book two so far have been the two grim sisters who are identical as she can't tell them apart at first. And Lilith comes in and says, do you really want to tell your parents about this stuff, even though they can't do it? Do you want to tell your friends and make them know that there's this world out there? And then in book two, Diana Grimm, she comes in and she says, I see, it must be very difficult living among muggles and not being able to talk about the wizarding world. And she says, I can't tell you what to do about your mother, but from my observations, she and your stepfather have taken good care of you. Maybe you should consider talking to your mother and father about everything. So, I mean, these two people that look the same and are the introductions of book one and book two are telling her to do opposite things. I'm sure it's very confusing for (laughs) Alex. It would be horrible to be magical and not be able to talk to anyone about it for three months over a summer. Well, that's the thing, right? Like, the main purpose of... Your family is so that you can confide in people about what's going on in your life. And Alex does not have that. She can't hardly talk to anybody. She tries to talk to Lilith and gets berated for it. Dinagram is brand new, so we don't know how that relationship's going to go. But if she wanted to talk to, let's say, Anna about what's going on and her feelings, she has to send a letter via owl to a place that she doesn't know. She doesn't know how long it's going to take for it to come back. Who knows what's going to happen in the meantime. So Alex's lack of family, I think, really contributes to the way she is. Well, the other thing, too, is like the situation she's placed in, right? Like Claudia has no idea what's going on because she has no, she's been obliviated. So she sends a witch to a church school that's very anti-witch. And she has to deal with that. Yeah. Like it's not a great mm-hmm. environment to be in, like, in that this kind is... of case. This is not a situation where Alex can come home and say, Mom, this happened at Charmbridge. This person this person charmed these magical robots to attack me. I almost got killed. Like Alex can't come home and talk about the many times that her life was attempted upon yeah. when she gets back home. And it's much like with how Harry should have struggled from severe PTSD. Right. Alex just had her life attempted on like five or six times in the course of a year, and she can't talk to the, probably the most important people in her life about it. And the worst part is, even if she did, like, let's say she even <laughs> brings up the final act with Ben Journey and the gun, she's not going to go back to Charmbridge. Yeah. Her parents are going to say no. Exactly. Like, if yeah. that's happening at your school, no. She is stuck in, it's a weird she's situation. She's in a bad spot. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, you know, like it, it would be hard for an adult to do, to deal with that stuff, but especially hard for a 12-year-old. Yeah, a 12-year-old who's so. just 
probably entering puberty. He's got all this other confusing stuff going on on top of being. Yep. And once again, the adults in this story, in this world, don't seem to have any grasp on the fact that things that happen to you when you're a child directly shape who you become as an adult. And so maybe in that regard, we can't look forward to Alex improving too much because who knows <laughs> what effect this year has had on her moving forward into book two. Right. I do have a game I want to play. Oh, no. Uh, to wrap this discussion up. But first, because you can't escape from them, Baylor, I do have a prediction I would like you to make. Okay. This one might be a little easier, might be a little more difficult. Who knows? Uh, the question is simple. Will Alex ever learn to actually listen to her friends? Um, I think so. And I have no basis for that reason. But I think just given what she, like, how the growth of at the end of book one, uh, I was hoping, you know, that that last conversation with Anna, right after everything went down, that would kind of be the, what what turns Alex's kind of head towards, oh, maybe these people know what they're talking about or can help me. So the the, the optimistic side says yes, but the pessimistic side says, I don't know. Which, if it, of any of her friends, which one do you think she would eventually learn to listen to? I think I think Anna. I was going to say, is it the obvious answer? Yeah, I I I mean that's that's definitely the closest person. I mean we, you you see the uh, you know the Ron and Harry kind of vibes. They they sleep in the same room. You know they do everything together, that kind of thing. So sure, I have a small prediction as well for Baylor. Baylor, are you ready? Yep. Okay. In the first book, Alex has been in remedial classes a lot of the time. So she's not with a majority of her classmates. Will she have any new, closer friends, whether it be people that we haven't met yet or haven't been properly introduced to, or whether it be like Darla or Angelique? I could see her being coming close to one of the exchange students. Um, there was one of them that like was giving her the eyes, not, not like, sorry, that was, that was weird to say that, but <laughs> one of them was, was looking, you know, was just like studying her, I guess would right. be a way to say that. And so I could see her being close maybe with one of them. Okay. Um, so we'll see what happens. That, okay. that would be kind of exciting because we could learn a different culture, a little bit about a different culture. Sure. All right. So now I have a game. Okay. It's the same concept as that kiss, marry, kill game. Right. That you've probably played in elementary school or whatever, but I tried to theme it magically. Delbert, you helped me a little bit. So we're going to play that, but it's called Accio Apare Avada Kedavra. <laughs> so again, we're assessing this from Alex's perspective, from Alex's point of view. So the person she would accio is the person she would want closest to her. The person she would confide in of the three options you're given. Uh, apparate is reserved for the person she would want to get the heck away from. If they showed up, she would apparate out of there instantly. And then Avada Kedavra is pretty self-explanatory. Of the three people presented, who would she kill? <laughs> Fair. So the first set of three and... Uh, Delbert, we'll have you start with this one. Your three options for the first round of Accio, Apparate, Avada Kedavra are David, Darla, and Anna. This must be the tutorial round, because we're definitely Accioing Anna and Apparating from David to save our Avada Kedavra for Darla. All right. Uh, Baylor, do you agree? <clears throat> yeah, that's that's actually exactly what I had. Um it makes a lot of sense for, like, like thank you for giving us an easy one because the other two look look very hard. Yeah, these yeah. next ones might be a little challenging. I wanted to give you an easy one, right, uh, to get you warmed up because, as you said, the next couple rounds are going to be a little more difficult. Round two, Baylor, I'll have you start this one. Accio apparate Avada Kedavra, Lilith Grimm, Benedict Journey, Alan Thiel. Ah, yes. The old good old controversy. Uh, so, 
I decided that she would Accio Benedict Journey. And that reason is because he was the first person to show her respect and tell her truly to her face how it was, even though she was a kid. And uh, I just wanted to say she would only Accio that part and not the whole, the, you know, the fact that he wanted to kill her part. <laughs> um, between Alan Thiel and Lilith Grimm, I think the apparate would be Lilith Grimm because I think maybe they've come to an understanding at the end of book one to be determined in book two. And then Avada Kedavra, Alan Thiel, because that guy is stupid. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, That's the way I was going to go. It is the way I was going to go. I think <laughs> practically it would make more sense for her to Accio Lilith Grimm. And maybe kill Ben Journey. And at least apparate away from Ben Journey. Yeah. But strong bias towards Alan Thiel here. So Yeah, you know, I don't remember the last few chapters of the book. So as far as I'm concerned, Ben Journey is still the best teacher at the school. Sure, why not? Yeah, uh, definitely. <laughs> All right, and the last round of our inaugural game of Accio, Apparate, Avada Kedavra. Your three options are Abraham Thorne, Archie Green, Brandon Poe. Delbert, Mm-mm. you go ahead and lead this no, one. No, I off. don't think so. <laughs> Listen, you can't get rid of Brandon Poe. They're, they're Accio'd. They're okay. up close. They're friends. They're in the. They're. I placed them above David in Alex's friend list, so they got to be around. Sorry. Sure. Unfortunately, for our standing in the Discord, we are going to be uh, apparating away from Abraham Thorne and Avada <laughs> Kedavra, and Archie Green. I'm so sorry, Discord. Wow. <laughs> That's pretty bold. Well, you weren't presented with a clear good option. Listen, here. it's more of the same as far as the Discord's concerned. Sure. Uh, Baylor, how did you sort these three? Who did you Accio? Who did you Apparate? Who did you Avada Kedavra? Uh, I, I Accio'd Brandon Poe. Uh, that, that's definitely, I think, the obvious one. Uh, but I switched them up. I Apparated Archie Green, and I Avada Kedavra'd Abraham Thorne. And the only reason I did that was because at the end of book one, it appears that Alex uh, is not very happy with Abraham Thorne. Like, it appears that she sides against him. And so we'll see what happens in book two. Let me say here, I'm doing this from the perspective of Alex. And I just watched a clip from the hit CW show Arrow or Green Arrow, where the main star... Um, I can't even think of his name. Oliver, Oliver Queen. Queen. Thank you. He, uh, he knows his sister is about to kill her father. And he does everything in his power to prevent it because you can't come back from that. So I couldn't kill Abraham Thorne here. I couldn't do it. Not from Alex's perspective. That's fair. That's fair. I have a different answer than both of you. Oh, I said I would wow. Accio Abraham Thorne. Oh. Alex spent the entire book trying to close the gap between herself and her father. The entire book except the last page, mind you. Well, you're you're right, but come on. What's better way to find out more about him and the Thorn Circle than to Accio him closer to you? So well, I said fair. Accio Abraham Thorne. I also think Alex is too compassionate to steal her mom's husband. Oh, no. And so I said she oh. would apparate away from Archie Green. Yeah. Damn, Brian Poe getting wrecked. Leaving us with oh. the worst of the three options. Oh, no. To Avada Kedavra, Brandon Poe. The reason why I'm saying that is because they've served their purpose. Oh, no. Come on. They got her the Damn. information she needed. <laughs> I mean, I might as well just call you JKB after this. Sure, why not? Killing the elves when they serve <laughs> no more purpose. <laughs> uh, wow. That was kind of more fun than I thought it would be, to be honest. <laughs> so, that's our, I guess, our first deep dive into Alex Quick. I'm sure there's more to come. We could have gone on for much longer. There's whole parts of the notes page that we just skipped over. There's one last thing on there I wanted to in discuss. In order of time. Can. So I was going to offer the option for one last thing if you guys wanted to bring something up. I wanted to cover the <laughs> casting, if possible. Sure. So then yeah. the question is, why did we cast Maisie Williams, of all people, to play Alex? 
She's a fucking badass. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to argue with that. Yeah. Um, She also, in the first season of Game of Thrones, is kind of the insolent, insubordinate little girl running around doing True. what she wants mm-hmm. to do, not doing what is expected or proper of her. And so I think that uh, that fits, that carries over very nicely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I literally think that, that I... Aya Stark could be mirrored as Alex. Honestly. Especially the part where she becomes like the the right hand man to the faceless god. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um no, I just think overall she fits the role better than the other two options. Yeah. Um, but really the first season, Arya Stark is essentially book one Alex, just in a different setting. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of it. I know I said Genevieve Gaunt for my first one, which was based solely off looks, but I think Maisie Williams could have easily carried a franchise based off this instead of Game of Thrones if it had, you know, been at the right time. I would agree 100%. I agree as well. With that being said, I think we should wrap this discussion up here. We're sure to return to Alex Quick uh, maybe later this book or after this book gets over, when Baylor has more information. So this is not the only character discussion we'll be having about about Alexandra. And um, I'm excited going forward. But next week's episode is a return to our chapter discussions, this time discussing chapters four and five uh, of Alexandra Quick in the Lands Below. I think, and I don't know if you've read them yet, Baylor, but these next two chapters were the biggest curveball maybe we've gotten in the series so far, excluding the twist at the end of book one, because there is some (laughs) truly bizarre stuff that goes against character development that we've had so far going on. So I'm very excited to discuss those chapters. Yeah, it should be interesting. I haven't read them yet myself, but... uh... Everything you guys have said has made me wonder. So I also have not read <laughs> we'll them see. yet for this reread, but I know there's something coming up. I'm not sure if it's in these chapters or not, where when I read it the first time, I just stopped and said, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> so next week's episode will be chapters four and five of Alexander Quick and the Lands Below. And then the following week, who knows? We might toss an interview in there. Uh, We might just continue on with chapter discussion. Uh, We'll decide sometime between now and when we record next week's episode. But I wanted to thank everybody for listening to this uh, character discussion of Alexandra Quick. And uh, just remind everybody that we're here every Sunday to grace your ears with our beautiful voices and our wise words. Indeed. With that being said, I think we'll leave it here. I've been Brady. I've been Delbert. I've been Baylor. And we will see you next Sunday. What a nice outro. Good night. (laughs) 